five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Tuesday morning? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Uh, we just have, uh, I don't know, just about eight months to go to kickoff, so, uh, so I'm pretty fired up. Wait a minute. You're not freaking out over all the, the graduations and NFL draft declarations and, and transfer portal guys? Jimmy, I, I thought surely we'd hop on here and you'd be freaking out. You know, I even read, I, I think it was from OutKick, I hate, I hate, you give them credit because the article is so bad and I don't know if Glenn Gilbo wrote it or but it was an article basically stating that uh something was wrong at Alabama because of all the guys portaling out and I'm like it's I don't know if it was just clickbait or I mean most likely people just don't understand what goes on in our program but uh, none of that is a concern whatsoever it's not even a concern it's 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 all good frankly every bit of it is good news. I mean, we can we can nitpick a couple of, of guys that, that left we might could have used for depth, but uh no, I mean it's all it's all been good. And then factor in who we've gotten out of the portal, and really it's kind of a an A plus situation. Anybody that would imply that that this is all bad just just doesn't know what's going on with Alabama football. You know, somebody on Twitter made mention that they were that guys like Jaleel Billingsley and Drew Sanders were major losses to me. Major losses is Jameer Gibbs, you know, Georgia tech losing out on Jameer Gibbs, you know, him transferring LSU losing out on Eli Ricks. Those are major losses. Those are guys who are not only supposed to be starters for you. They're supposed to be impact players. Drew Sanders is a loss. Absolutely. Uh, the argument can be made one way or the other, and I could see both sides. If you've got the 2020 Jaleel Billingsley, who was a contributor, who had his head screwed on straight, who wasn't a problem, that is a loss, absolutely. If Texas gets that guy, that is a huge gain for them, absolutely. But if you got 2021 Jaleel Billingsley, it's not a loss. In fact, I'm still ticked off. Here we are just over a week later. I'm still upset at the coaching staff for Alabama for giving him 41 snaps in that national championship game. I don't feel like he deserved them. Uh, he should have been pulled way – he didn't get pulled, but he should have been pulled early in the game for the, the lack of effort, and they allowed it to continue. So to say he's a major loss, is he a loss? Sure. But if you're saying that about uh, a number three outside linebacker, a guy who's not going to see the field except for maybe a handful of snaps per game outside of injury, and you're saying that about a tight end who was a huge problem for Alabama, who you know wasn't a starter technically this year, it was Cameron Latou, he did start a couple of games, but he, I would not consider him a starter. What would happen if JV and Cohen entered the transfer portal or Jordan Battle or Henry Toto? Where do you go from major? Catastrophic? Are those catastrophic losses? Because if they're catastrophic, then what, what Georgia Tech and LSU and all these other programs are going through, they're going through some catastrophic losses, Jimmy. It, it, it's Again, it's either not knowing Alabama's situa personnel situation. It's either not knowing it or you do know it and just want to create a big thing for yourself and get a lot of clicks and, and people, uh, you know, you're the story and not the story itself. I mean, that, 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 that take just makes no sense at all. Again, if, if you're losing a starter, it's a, it's a big story. And, and Jaleel Billingsley and Drew Sanders 
did start games. And, and again, you know, like I, I tweeted myself this weekend, Drew Sanders is a loss. Calling it a major loss or a disaster is just not knowing the team well. Uh, it is a loss. He's a good player. He would have really helped us off the bench, and he would have played snaps with the first team. I have no doubt that that's true. It's a loss, but it's not going to affect the one loss record. Now, granted, if Will Anderson gets hurt, if, if Dallas Turner gets hurt and lost for the season, I assure you we will bring up his name again. I mean, it, you know, it, at that point, it's like, boy, you know, uh, that, you know, wish Drew hadn't left and still wish Drew hadn't left. But look, we talked about this in the past couple of weeks. People listening to the show, Clint, have heard we had to lose players and we were going to lose players we didn't want to lose. When you have to lose 10, 12, 13 kids to the portal, there's no way that's not going to sting. But Alabama had to lose those players. We can't play with 92 guys on scholarship. There were some players that had to go. And hopefully they were kids that chose to go. Drew chose to go. And, uh, and that was that. But it's not it's not even really a negative. If it is a negative, it's a very small negative. Again, it affects the depth. It doesn't affect the starting lineup. 100%. And I compared it on Twitter to Alabama losing Keelan Robinson from the year before. Not saying, now granted, right. they had already kind of adjusted to life without Keelan Robinson because he opted out of the 2020 season. But it was kind of a similar situation, not in the fact that Drew Sanders was a lot more important. He was a lot going to be a lot more a lot on Keelan Robinson was kind of down the depth chart a little bit more. So I'm not saying it, it's, you know, the exact same thing, but we didn't right. talk about how much losing Keelan Robinson hurt until you started seeing injuries happen at running back. Then it got highlighted and it was a big deal. And in hindsight, it's like, man, Alabama could sure use Keelan Robinson right now. But at the same time, you know, you can't bank on that. If you're Drew Sanders, are you sitting there hoping, you know, granted, he already kind of, I wouldn't say lucked into a job. Uh, it, he certainly earned it when he was given the opportunity. He was kind of working his way up the depth chart and the, the coaching staff loved him and he was going to get some playing time regardless of what happened to Christopher Allen. But it took an injury for him to get on the field this past year. And now he was looking to bank on that for a second year in a row. You know, he didn't want to be a depth guy. He didn't want to be a rotational piece. With Alabama, we saw it with Christopher Allen and Will Anderson, you know, in 2020. We saw it with, you know, once Dallas Turner became the guy and Will Anderson was the other guy. I'm not saying that Dallas Turner was playing every snap. In fact, he was only playing about a third of the snaps. But in those instances that there was two outside linebackers on the field at the same time, it was Dallas Turner and Will Anderson 95% of the time. So, you know, you can't, you can't sit there and, and, and ask Drew Sanders to stick around and say, hey, Hopefully something happens to one of these guys, which he's not wanting to pull for. He doesn't want to pull for an injury to somebody else, but he wants to be on the field and he's good enough to be on the field. So yes, does it hurt Alabama's depth? Sure. Are they still going to be fine at outside linebacker? Absolutely. I mean, they did lose Chris Frowlin. They got used to life without him as it is. They lost Drew Sanders. They lost King Wakuda. Wakuda wasn't playing at all. Not much special teams, not much on defense, but you know, Chris Braswell has been a guy who saw just over hundred snaps this past season. I think he's, you know, growing into being, you know, an okay player, pretty good player. Um, there are other guys who are going to be available. Keanu Coat, that was a guy who, you know, on three had him rated as a five-star talent, very highly rated four-star talent on the on three consensus. But you got uh, Jeremiah Alexander, you got Jihad Campbell, who both of those two guys are top 30 prospects. 
according to on three, just absolutely loaded group of outside linebackers. And sure, if you start having injuries, which can happen from time to time, then some of this stuff losing a Drew Sanders matters a lot more. But I think Alabama is going to be just fine. And I don't think people should be freaking out about losing him. And I don't think people should be freaking out about losing Jaleel Billingsley because the Jaleel Billingsley that Alabama got this year is one that was more of a, a hindrance than he was a, a help. No, couldn't agree more. Uh, Jaleel Billingsley has fantastic upside and talent, uh, as do a lot of guys on Alabama's roster. But the Jaleel Billingsley that played for Alabama in 2021 was, was not helping particularly the one that played in the championship game. And a fresh start for everyone was a good thing. It's probably a good thing for Billingsley. Uh, it's a good thing for Alabama. Alabama will return a tight end with a ton of experience in Cam Latu. Uh, there's a young player like Robbie Oost who's uh, ready to play, and, and, and he will be a better blocker than Billingsley day one. Day one, That's because that's what this kid does. That That's what he is. Uh, he's really good at that. He will be better than Billingsley in that portion of the game day one. And a guy like Amari Nablack is going to show up uh, ready to catch passes. Now, uh, I think the physical part of the game is going to be a huge thing for him. Uh, I would suspect that initially in his freshman year at Alabama, he will be put into a role that doesn't demand a ton of physicality um, because that, that, that's, that's the mountain he faces and becoming as good of a tight end as he could possibly be. But Nablack will show up ready to catch balls and uh, in some ways will be as good as Billingsley in that, in that sense. So, so really, uh, as much as Billingsley was a starter or a co-starter, uh, it, it's not a loss. It's probably an addition by subtraction sort of a situation. Now, let's see how he does with Texas. Uh, I'll be, you know, if, 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 as if we should care about this anymore, and really we, we, we don't. He plays for Texas now. I find that I, it makes perfect sense that he would go there because he's played for Jeff Banks for the first two years of his career. He knows Banks. He knows Sark. Uh, he, he's going to fit in the offense quickly because I'm sure Texas is doing a lot of the same things that Sark did at Alabama. But I wonder if for Bill, for Billings, I had a, a buddy put this to me. I'll, I'll take it from him. A buddy told me this is so true. He's like, you know, Billingsley would have been better off with a Mel Tucker. That's exactly what he used specifically. Uh, Mel is sort of a, a disciplinarian, a guy who's very good at reaching kids. Um, and, and and I think Billingsley might need a little more tough love than what he's going to get at Texas. That, that's just my opinion. He could end up having a great year at Texas. And what Alabama fans need to understand, if that does end up happening, just because he was able to give that to Texas, because he was able to get that fresh start and kind of start from, from square one, kind of, earn his own reputation uh, there in Austin, that doesn't necessarily mean that that would be the Jaleel Billingsley that Alabama would have gotten. And so, you know, not saying that he couldn't have been that guy in Tuscaloosa. He could have been. It's just it didn't seem like he was wanting to buy into it. It felt like the coaching staff was giving him ample opportunities to be able to earn that role back, to be able to earn, you know, trust in the offense. And just at every turn, I mean, he was dropping passes. He wasn't blocking. He wasn't giving much effort with his blocking. He wasn't playing well. The national championship, everything came to a head. And I just wonder if this decision had been made prior to the national championship, which I mean, it had. It's just a matter of, you know, at what point this season did he decide, I want to go elsewhere. I don't want to be here anymore. And he maybe he mentally checked out. He just had, he had not played well. And you got to hope for the best for him. And if he goes to Austin and he does great things for uh, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, 
good on him. Good on Sark for getting an, a very capable, talented uh, pass catching option. And that, that offense could end up being pretty good this year. And, and I'm hoping that that happens. It's just also understand that, that was not going to happen more than likely in Tuscaloosa. So that's all we'll talk about as far as that's concerned. We will start breaking down some of these positions. We'll start on offense, see how much we get through it. We might break this up into two episodes, just depending. Um, don't want to go too long here. I think we've already gone 10, 15 minutes. But uh, we'll start with the quarterback position. Really not a whole lot of issues, Jimmy. If you have any thoughts, hit me with them. Paul Tyson transferring to Arizona State. Thought that was an interesting fit. I've already seen one Alabama quarterback, uh, Blake Barnett, check out Arizona State. Didn't work out great for him there, but hoping for – for more success for Paul Tyson, then you got a couple of walk-on quarterbacks. So just some quick thoughts in the quarterback position with who is uh, leaving and who's still going to be there. Yeah, I'm uh, rooting for Paul Tyson. I hope he goes to Arizona State and, and becomes a starting quarterback and, and has a fantastic career there. I'm literally rooting for that to happen. I just find if Paul left Alabama to go somewhere where he can play and somewhere where he can start, I'm confused as to the choice, for one thing, I believe Arizona State's returning Jaden Daniels. They is are. A, a really good quarterback. He is, uh, yeah. And Paul's not going to beat him out. Paul's not even going to remotely beat him out. Uh, I guess Paul is believing that he can be the successor to Jaden Daniels, I guess. Uh, I, I'll just say that uh, while I'm not exactly an encyclopedia on Sun Devil recruiting, I believe they do recruit the quarterback position pretty well. They have a former NFL head coach uh, as their current head coach. And uh, I, I would just say that if, if if Paul was leaving to be a starting quarterback elsewhere, uh, I, I, I don't understand the choice, but I guess I don't have to. Uh, that <laughs> They didn't ask my opinion, nor, nor should I get one. But uh, I do think Alabama's in good shape. I think uh, Milrow is going to be a really good number two uh, in the fall. And Ty Simpson is a guy capable of, of being a number two, even as a true freshman, uh, because this is a guy who's advanced mentally uh, growing up around football as he did. So uh, I, I think Alabama's in fine shape at quarterback, regardless of Paul Tyson leaving. Uh, a couple of walk-on quarterbacks have left. Braxton Barker and Stone Hollenbach both left. Uh, I do think this is interesting to me because, as everybody knows, I work part-time for, for QB country, so I, I know a lot of quarterbacks out there. Um, with Alabama losing two walk-on quarterbacks um, and, and Paul Tyson as well, I think it, it's it's a it's a priority as much as it can be. Uh, I think it'll be a priority to bring in a really good walk-on uh, between now and the fall. Not someone that you can bring in to like, oh, well, we need to bring in somebody you know to play against LSU if the first couple guys get hurt. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you got to practice. You can't just have a practice. Uh, with 125 players and just have three quarterbacks you, you gotta have more than that and and the better your walk-on quarterbacks are the better practice goes the better it is for everyone to be playing with a, a better quarterback so I do think it's interesting it's not on the highest list of priorities and maybe fans won't care about it at all uh, like I will but uh, I think uh, bringing in a uh, quality walk-on freshman uh, is a thing for me yeah, it's very difficult to hang on to four quarterbacks nowadays. Everybody wants to play. Um, so if you can get that fourth guy, not a player that you want to rely on, but even if you had a fourth-string scholarship quarterback, by the time you're working down to that guy, uh, you, you probably aren't in great shape anyway. So 
at least right. getting a quality number four and, and having him in, in the walk-on form rather than the scholarship form, you know, I think is, uh, you know, very beneficial. So that's a great point. We'll move on to running back. Really, the only guy that you're losing is Brian Robinson Jr., who you're bringing in, Jameer Gibbs. You're bringing in Emmanuel Henderson. We think he's going to play running back. That's not a guarantee. Jamarian Miller, another top 100 prospect, another top, you know, seven or eight running back in the country. I mean, Jimmy, we talk about positions not being done as far as hitting the transfer portal. I, I got to be honest. This is seven very talented players. Hope they all seven end up staying in Tuscaloosa and contributing for Alabama and being part of that depth chart. We've seen what can happen when you start losing players at this position. But do you foresee any more changes? Because, I mean, you got Jameer Gibbs, who I expect to be a big part of the offense. You still got Trey Sanders. You got Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams, both those two guys coming back from season ending injuries. I guess you can throw Kamar Wheaton in there as well, who's a borderline, you know, four star prospect, according to on three. And then a couple of talented freshmen. I mean, seven running backs, all very capable players. Where do you see this position going? Well, you can't bring in any more. Uh, these, these are the seven uh, that, that you have. And, and the question being, how do you keep seven guys happy? You're not. Uh, I, I think what could happen is following the spring. I mean, some things are going to shake out this spring in terms of who's getting the most reps, who's getting the second most reps, who's getting the third most reps, who's, who's playing with the first team. As we know, we even have an A-Day game where, you know, uh, the white running back on the white team is, uh, you know, the first team running back and the second team running back usually is the running back on the Crimson team. Um, it won't surprise me that by the end of spring, if someone is unhappy and leaves, uh, I think we should almost expect that. And that's okay because with seven running backs, we could lose two of them and still have fantastic depth. If you have five running backs and you have confidence in all of them, you're fine. You're fine. So no one should panic if someone leaves after the spring and I'm sort of half anticipating that happen. I sort of half think, gosh, one of these guys is, is likely to leave and whether that would be Sanders, Jace, Roy Dell, um, I, I don't know. I, I, any of the three could, could be upset or leave or they might all stay, which is fine. If they all stay, that's interesting to me. You, you know, you're, you're not going to go out of your way to, to give seven guys the ball. I, I think you should give Jameer Gibbs the ball as much as possible, because I think, I think he's just your best player and he's really good. Uh, I, I think one thing here, here's one thing I would look for. I wouldn't rule out just st everybody stick this in their back pocket. I don't rule out Emmanuel Henderson showing up uh, and playing safety. Uh, that, that, that wouldn't be a surprise. He's even said publicly that he's open to that. Um, and, and frankly, I think even though he's a good running back prospect, he might even be a better safety prospect and his path to playing time, his path to the starting lineup might be more easier at safety than it will be at running back. So that's one thing to look for in terms of those seven guys. But, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of personnel and who's going to be on the roster and who's going to be at what, what position going into the games this fall, Clint, all I'll say is I, I'm sort of half expecting one guy to leave after the spring and Henderson moving to safety. That would leave us with five guys, but all five, whoever the five are, will be capable of helping us uh, this uh, this fall. Yeah, the, the the Emmanuel Henderson thing is interesting, and I'll be curious to see what ends up happening with that because, you know, we talk about guys who are, you know, who are some potential candidates. You know, when, when injuries started happening to the running back group, 
and you start talking about, okay, who are they going to move to running back? You know, you ended up seeing Des Moines Kennedy. You ended up seeing Christian Leary. If Emmanuel Henderson is playing safety and something happens and they start running into a situation like they did this past year, they've got the perfect candidate in Emmanuel Henderson who can not only make that switch, but then also end up being a pretty good player who you can give carries to. Christian Leary ended up getting used a little bit, but it was more so as a pass catcher. Um, he did line up in the backfield a little bit. You didn't see a whole lot of Des Moines Kennedy except for in mop-up duty. Emmanuel Henderson, he would be a guy that you ended up moving back to that position and you feel pretty comfortable about actually getting him some number three looks, you know, if you had to. If you were in a situation similar to what Alabama was in, you know, this past year. And, you know, with, with Trey Sanders, what ha- what ends up happening with that? With Roydell Williams and Jason McClellan coming back, Trey Sanders proved capable. He's worked extremely hard. The coaching staff loves him. You know, where does he fit into the mix? Does he keep his spot as the number two guy, which is where he finished? Does he end up dropping back down with some of those guys coming back? How does he feel about that if that ends up happening? With uh, Jace McClellan proving to be a capable running back, if he comes back, I think he's going to be a part of that rotation. I think Roydell Williams is going to be a part of that rotation. But maybe one of those two guys has played enough to know that they could be higher on a depth chart somewhere. Maybe one of them leave, or maybe Kamar Wheaton, who kind of ends up being the forgotten man, or maybe all of them stay. You know, all this is speculation. Anything that we say on this episode as far as guys who could potentially leave and stuff, I normally don't like doing this, but I also want to give people a good idea that they should probably expect some kind of movement and and why certain guys could move. I mean, it could be pretty much anybody on the roster outside of a freshman or outside of Jameer Gibbs because he just transferred in. I would say anybody else is a possibility to maybe move. So don't be shocked if that ends up happening. We'll just have to see how things play out in the spring. Uh, moving on to, to wide receiver, Jamison Williams declares for the draft. John Mechie, draft. Slade Bolden, draft. Javon Baker, who was a guy who had, at various points had been kind of a relied on guy. He's entered the transfer portal. Don't know where he's going yet. Xavier Williams, they've already gotten used to life without him. He was falling down the depth chart. He's transferring to Utah State. So quite a bit of turnover at the receiver position. Three guys, your top three receivers moving on to the NFL loaded with talent, Jimmy. I mean, you got five guys, you know, Shaz Preston, Aaron Anderson, not Adam Anderson, like I did on Twitter. Uh, that was a, a an accident. I was thinking about George's roster when I did that. Kendrick Law, Kobe Prentice, Isaiah Bond. You got guys like Ja'Cory Brooks and JoJo Earl and Ajayi Hall and Christian Leary. The last two years, as far as their recruiting efforts at the receiver position, have been exceptional. But with those top three guys moving on to the NFL – you got Treshawn Holden, who's barely over 200 snaps this past year. Corey Brooks barely got over 300. JoJo Earl, 169. Not a whole lot of experience. And so I wonder, is this a position that Alabama could end up targeting in the transfer portal sometime before the spring, after the spring, or do you think that they'll rely on this young talent uh, going into 2022? I think you can get away, Clint, with – you can get away with sticking with what you got. Uh, I, I don't think if Alabama – sits still with what they have that it's necessarily a a, a disaster Uh, because I think of the 11 guys right now uh, currently set to be on the team this fall you're talking about several that were that were national top 100 players almost all of them really a couple of them even five stars Uh, I, I, I think that you could survive without bringing one I just personally believe that Alabama would greatly benefit if they could bring in a wide receiver one, somebody that kind of was the the veteran of the group that you relied on more than any other. Uh, and, and you brought him in 
thus allowing these younger guys to develop at their own pace instead of being thrown into the deep end of the pool like we're going to have to if we don't bring in a veteran. So I do. I personally have an expectation to look for a receiver to be added. It might happen this week. It's more likely to happen, I think, in April or, or, or the 1st of May. Uh, like last year when Alabama bought in Jamison Williams, he was a post-spring practice guy. Uh, that, that you know they didn't sign or bring in Jamison until after spring practice. So so don't think just because it hasn't happened yet, it can't. Uh, it, it it very well might. Uh, but yeah, I think bringing in a wide receiver is a good idea and would be very helpful. If they don't, uh, it looks like the three most experienced guys, as you pointed out, are Treshawn Holden. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks and, and JoJo Earl. I think those would be the three guys. And these are, these are three guys that were all highly valued prospects, especially Brooks and Earl. Uh, and they should be ready. They should be ready to be good SEC players next fall. And I anticipate that being the case. Uh, as far as the true freshmen coming in, I like every one of them, all five of them. I, I like all of them. I just, it's just myself over the years. I've just learned not to count on them right away. Sure, one or two of them may be ready right, right away. That'd be great, but I don't count on it myself, and I don't really think the coaches do either. I think they look at it like it's a gravy situation, like, hey, we're bringing these guys. Let's, let's take a look-see. Let, let's hope let's hope that they're, they're able to help us, but, it, but, but we need to be making other plans because we can't count on a true freshman uh, that hasn't even practiced yet uh, being good enough to help us win games in the fall. So I like all five. I'm not counting on any of them uh but it would be helpful what i'm counting on is holden needs to be good brooks needs to be good jojo earl needs to be good they've had time in the system uh they'll be a year older a year uh, a year more with dr ray and 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 both and david Ballou. uh but but I, I would i would look to the portal uh the spring and it may be somebody that's not in the portal every time i say that i know fans go that's jimmy telling us we're going to get Butte from LSU. Now, I, I'm not saying that. I, 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 I don't even mean, I'm not even implying that because the kid's not in the portal. There's way too much talk about a kid that's not never been in the portal. He's not in the portal now. And it's silly to assume that that's going to be the case. It may be. Uh, I'm not saying it's not, but uh, I, I just think a high impact receiver uh, would be. Uh, would be hugely helpful to the Alabama offense. One good part about, you know, if you remember when those that, that talented group of freshmen came in, you know, you had Devontae Smith, you had Henry Ruggs the third, you had Jerry Judy, uh, you know, Tyrell Shavers uh, was, was part of that group as well. But one of the benefiting parts of them coming in is that they didn't have to come in and be the guy. You know, you had Calvin Ridley. It was kind of your headliner. You had the Robert Fosters of the world. You had the Cam Sims, some more experienced players. And you got to get those guys more involved over the course of the season. You know, you look at when Jalen Waddle came in, he got to, you know, have the, the benefit of having those other three guys who are all in the same wide receiver room. He got to see how it's supposed to be done. Those other guys that I mentioned before, they got to watch Calvin Ridley, especially. Those other players have been in the system, so they were great at, at teaching them you know, what the process is, what's expected, had more of a leadership role. But Calvin Ridley was the guy that they got to watch in practice every day and learn how to do it at an extremely high level. Jalen Waddle got to watch those guys in front of him, learn how to do it at an early age at an extremely high level by watching those guys. Ja'Cory Brooks has gotten some experience. Treshawn Holden, 
probably more of the the Robert Foster, Cam Sims type, even though I think he could be a, a, a target, not hog, but a guy that you can hit with a lot of targets and he's going to make some things happen. JoJo Earl, very explosive, but limited action. Ajayi Hall, all these players are still learning, and they all did get to see the benefit of watching John Mechie and Jamison Williams and learning how to play at a high level, but they won't necessarily have that in front of them. And then you look at the freshmen who are coming in now, you know, the Shaz Prestons, the Adam, uh, the Aaron Andersons almost did it again. All these different guys, they're looking to players who don't have a lot of experience themselves, and they're, you know, wondering, okay, how are we supposed to do that? So I'll be curious to see how the wide receiver room dynamic kind of plays out. I do think that, you know, your top four guys are going to be, you know, at least going into the spring is going to be Ja'Cory Brooks and Trayshawn Holden and JoJo Earl there in the slot. You know, Ajayi Hall could play the Z, has a little bit of vertical speed. Um, I'll be curious to see where he fits into the mix. Those will probably be your top four. But what they're looking for, uh, whether that be in the transfer portal or from one of these freshmen, if they can get it, is, you know, they, they brought in a ton of speed. That was the expectation. You you saw what can happen when you have a player who can stretch the field vertically in Jamison Williams. You've seen it in the past from other players. I'll be curious to see where they get that guy who can press vertically and put pressure on defense is where they get that production from because, you know, JoJo Earl's got a lot of explosion and speed, but he's more of a slot guy. Uh, you know, they they put Jamison Williams in the slot and they got a little bit of that vertical pressing a little bit. Treshawn Holden's not going to be a guy who's going to win downfield or at least he's not with speed. Ja'Cory Brooks really isn't. Ajay Hall, to some degree, yes. He's more of a, you know, I think he can end up winning at all three levels of the field when he gets there, but I'll be curious to see where they get that from. But moving on to the tight ends, we already talked about it quite a bit. Jaleel Billingsley, Kendall Randolph, Major Tennyson, you know, quite a bit of turnover at that position. Billingsley and Randolph both played quite a bit. Cameron Latou, big player, super important. We I talked about him on Twitter I didn't realize this. I was going through and looking at some of his numbers. He actually broke the record from what I found. I went back and looked at a lot of players, a lot of receivers up there, really didn't see any tight ends. And But he broke the record for most receiving touchdowns in a single season for a tight end in school history with eight. Much bigger impact player than people realize. Very good blocker, has the occasional drop, You know, had the fumble near the goal line. I think somebody on Twitter put it perfectly when they said that a lot of his stuff was very timely that made him kind of stand out as it was kind of similar to Slade Bolden in the past where he didn't really have all these drops like fans were accusing him of or fumbling issues. He just had a couple, but it was the timing of those drops and fumbles that made it stand out and made it seem like he was, uh, you know, one of those guys that had that problem. Latou, very similar situation in a lot of ways, very good player like Oots, like you said, as far as being a number two tight end, as far as being a big body blocker, you know, in my opinion, I think you can get more of the Kendall Randolph role out of him, but then also have a lot more receiving ability from that spot than you have with Kendall Randolph. And then the black, if I was Alabama, I'd be looking to get him probably, you know, 100 to 150 snaps at least, kind of what Jaleel Billingsley did in history freshman season. He was playing with some other tight ends, ended up playing pretty well in a limited role. And the black, I think the the floor should be getting him 100 to 150 snaps to be kind of that complimentary flex tight end. But if he, you know, is you know producing well with the reps that he is getting, start getting him more involved in the offense, and then you got a complimentary piece. And then you got Elijah Brown too. So, uh, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on the tight ends? Well, um, you know, you summed that up really well. Uh, Latu to me is a is a he's a starting tight end in the SEC. That's really good. The eight touchdowns speak for themselves in terms of 
you know, is this, is it, is he a tight end one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he can block, he can catch, he, he, he's pretty dependable. Yeah. He'll have some drops, but he's still converting. We got to remember, we didn't recruit this guy to come in and be a tight end in Alabama. He was, he was literally recruited to be a defensive player. It just worked out. We needed a tight end and, and he had some experience there. And, uh, and after a developmental period, obviously was able to help us uh, and, and still will next year as, as the first team tight end. And I think we can win with him. And I like how the other guys sort of fill roles. Uh, Oost being the, 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 the a designated blocker, but also a guy that can line up at fullback, but also a guy you can split out. Anybody that thinks Oost is block only doesn't know who that kid is or what he is. He, he will catch balls and he will make plays at Alabama. I think he's going to be outstanding. Frankly, he's just a uh, Swiss army knife guy, not a, you know, he's not a cow pits. He'll, he'll never be that. That's not what he is, but he's, he, he can block really well. He's surprisingly athletic and has good hands. I think he's going to play a significant role on the team in the fall uh, in terms of exactly what that is. I don't know. I don't even know. It may even be the case Clint where Latu is one a and Oost is one B. I mean, he, he might play that much, but he is going to play a significant role. I'm with you that Amari Nyblak, the freshman, uh, we sort of need him to be a pass catcher because he's so natural in that role. Uh, it would be nice that we can line him up in places that you would normally see the Y or the H line up, and he can line up there, hopefully create mismatches and get open and catch a few balls. He doesn't have to be the number one receiving threat or, or the biggest threat, but just being an additional weapon that, that Alabama can use occasionally will be a big help. Uh, I'm not sure what to expect out of Caden Clark or Elijah Brown just yet. They probably need more time in the incubator, as I would say, um, uh, you know, to, to, to get, you know, just bigger, stronger down the road before they can help us. A couple of things to look for here in terms of the portal, I don't think tight end is a need because I think Alabama can not only survive but thrive with Latu, Oost, and Nyblak. I think between the three of them, it can be an asset to Alabama, the tight end position. But if you got an elite kid, uh, all of a sudden that position is a home run. I'm not saying Alabama is going to get a Michael Trigg, but just using him as an example – if you added a trig who became not only a starting tight end alongside Latu, but one of the biggest pass receiving threats on the team, uh, now tight end is an abundance of riches. So if I was Alabama, I would, I would strongly consider a tight end if it's, he's elite. We don't need another body. We don't need just another guy. We don't need just a blocker or just a pass catcher. We got those things. Uh, if there's an elite guy, uh, that might be a good spot for the portal. But it'd take an elite guy like a trig uh, for me to get too excited about it. Secondly, one other thing to look for, uh, I think the last two or three seasons, Kendall Randolph has been helpful uh, and has probably sprung a few key blocks that we're not even aware of as fans. Uh, I would look for another offensive lineman to sort of assume that same role of part-time offensive lineman, part-time tight end, a guy that makes sense to me to maybe do that would be Amari Kite, uh, who's, a, who's a pretty athletic guy who plays tackle, uh, who's probably not going to be in the picture to be the starting 
right tackle or left tackle. Therefore, he could probably afford to help us at more than one position. I just think that's been particularly helpful. Alabama's going to run the ball more often with a Jameer Gibbs. Uh, I think uh, Amari Kite at tight end might be something Jameer Gibbs could get real excited about. So for that reason, uh, I'm not I'm not saying it's going to happen. It's not scoop. I'm just saying that 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 that's a Jimmy idea. But I, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we saw something like that this spring or fall. What I loved about the tight end group as we got into the early parts of last season and it ended up not working out this way because Jaleel Billingsley never became the guy that we all hoped that he would. And Cameron Latou also had a little bit of a, a lull there where he wasn't playing great football. He was able to pull himself out of it. Jaleel Billingsley was not give him a lot of credit for that. But the reason I liked it so much is I love the versatility of the group. And what I mean by that is, you know, Cameron Latou could be that kind of inline blocking tight end and he's an effective blocker, but you can also split him out wide, flex him out a little bit if you need to, and he can be an effective pass catcher. Jaleel Billingsley is that perfect, you know, uh, you know, I would say Latou is more of that inline tight end, that wide tight end. And then you look at uh, Jaleel Billingsley, he's that move guy. You can line him up as a big slot. You can line him up as a perimeter receiver line him up as an H back, move him around. And I love that combination as far as the versatility that it provided your offense. That's what I like so much about the two guys that they added in this 2022 recruiting class. Cause Elijah Brown, good pass catcher. You can flex him out wide. I don't think he's limited enough as an athlete to be able to do that. You can do that with him, but he's one of the better blocking tight ends in this recruiting class. That's where I think he ultimately ends up getting on the field. If he does, it will be primarily for that reason but then you got Amari in the black as well, who can be that move tight end. He's not going to be a guy that you line up in the traditional inline role. I don't think he's big enough or strong enough, but you can kind of use him as that move tight end. So I love the balance that those two bring as far as long term. You know, and like I said with Oots, you know, he's kind of a bigger body guy, 260, 265. I think that they're going to get some blocking ability from him, but I also think that he can be a pass catcher, Cameron too. Oh can do a lot of different things with him i really like the group overall and if they can get amari uh, in the black to be that you know you're never going to ask him to line up in line really so in, in fact in, in a lot of ways he would probably just be a, a very versatile move you know wide receiver which is kind of what he is kind of a hybrid wide receiver tight end type i really like what he could give alabama's offense you know even as early as this year but he's got to show these ready it won't be handed to him but if they can get that from him then i think they'll be in pretty good shape We'll move on to the tight end, and then we'll wrap this episode up, and we'll do the defense tomorrow because we've gone longer a little bit. But the offensive line, quite a bit of uh, turnover here, too. I wouldn't say quite a bit, but enough to talk about it. Evan Neal, you're by far your best offensive lineman. He declares early for the NFL draft. Makes sense. You're losing your starting left tackle. Chris Owens had played some center for you. Had been a valuable veteran piece for you for the last couple of years. You're starting right tackle, at least, you know, for a majority of the season. He's now moving on, has exhausted all of his eligibility. Tommy Brown, who got one start this year, kind of some tackle guard versatility. He's transferring out. I don't think we know where he's going yet. And then you got Pierce Quick, who was a former borderline five-star prospect, really a four-star, but some places had him listed as a five-star. He's transferring to Georgia Tech. We've known about that for, what, a couple of months now probably, or at least a month. So four offensive linemen, you know, you're returning – what, probably one, two, three, four, five, five guys who have starting experience in JVN Cohen, Emil Ikior Jr., Darian Dalcourt, Seth McLaughlin, and Damian George. You also got J.C. Latham, who's played extensively. Uh, I will be curious to see what ends up happening with Amari Kite. Kind of the way that I view it, and I could be completely wrong, um, I think it will be a difficult transition, but I could see J.C. Latham going from 
right guard to left tackle. If that ends up happening, or maybe Amari Kite ends up playing left tackle, or it's it's a, a battle between Damian George and Amari Kite on the right side, or does Tommy Brockermeyer fit in? You know, I know that he was banged up at least towards the end of the season. I'll be curious to see where he's at from a health standpoint. But very interesting group of offensive linemen because quite a bit of experience returning, quite a bit of guys who, yeah, I mean, the group didn't perform great in 2021, and I think that concerns people for 2022. But if they can get the right combination of players, very talented group they brought in, you know, in this not this past recruiting class, even though they did bring in some good players and Tyler Booker and Elijah Pritchett, but the Terrence Ferguson's of the world, the James Brockermeyer, Tommy Brockermeyer, Jaden Roberts, J.C. Latham, where do you see this offensive line shaking out, not only in the spring, but maybe as we exit the spring? Yeah, it's, the to me, the biggest question mark on the team and the number one thing I thought it was going into this season. Um, we said before this season started that uh, if, if Alabama doesn't win the national championship, we're going to look at the offensive line. And I think that somewhat proved true. Uh, it just wasn't good enough. Maybe it was an unfair final exam considering who they had to play against. And, and there were times that all year that the offensive line did play well because Alabama won a Heisman Trophy. You can't do that with a terrible offensive line. They weren't terrible. They just maybe weren't good enough to, to, to help Alabama win the national championship. And, and now you lose your best player in Evan Neal. I don't think the other losses are, are big in the sense that, that, you know, I don't think Pierce Quick would have necessarily been um, a starter this fall. I don't believe so. Uh, Chris Owens uh, probably wouldn't be among uh, our best five guys. Kendall Randolph wouldn't be among our best five guys this fall. So really, Evan Neal's a loss, but he's a huge loss because offensive line's the biggest question, and they lost their best player. I mean, he, he could end up being the number one pick in the draft. So where do you go from here? You have to improve. At, to replace Evan Neal, you have to improve at all the spots. Uh, and not left tackle. You won't improve there. Whoever plays left tackle will not be as good as Evan Neal. Uh, but the other four spots all have to be better. If the other four spots are all better, then the offensive line could be better, even though you lose an Evan Neal. You know, as to who those guys will be, uh, there's only two guys that I would bet significant sums of money will be starters uh, this fall, and that's Emil Echior, who will return uh, as a starter for a third or fourth season. Seems like he's been starting a long time. Hopefully he'll be as healthy as he's ever been and kind of be the leader uh, of that group and and our best player. I think Emil Echior has that, that sort of upside with his experience and strength. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if he even got a look at center. Uh, I think that's possible this spring. But uh, Emil Echior will be a starter if he's healthy, and so will Javion Cohen who I think showed a lot of promise in his first year as a starter. Uh, he wasn't a great player. He wasn't a candidate to be an All-SEC player. But I do think, considering it was his first year starting uh, and as a true sophomore, he was pretty good. Uh, the challenge for him is to take the next step and go from, hey, you're pretty good for a new guy to you're a pretty good offensive lineman in this league. Uh, that That's the cool. step that he make for next year. I'm not going to be surprised, Clint, if he's kicked out to tackle just because Alabama lacks experience there, uh, it doesn't have clear starters at left and right tackle. Cohen uh, has some positional versatility because for a guard, he has some length. And uh, I, I won't be shocked. I'm not, I'm not telling everybody, hey, this is going to happen. Write this down. But I do think it's very possible that Cohen is kicked out to tackle. 
uh, with Cohen and Ekior in two spots. I think the other three, uh, there's probably six or eight candidates for those three spots. And if anywhere from, from obviously Seth McLaughlin, Darian Dowcourt, Damian George, guys that have played some this year, J.C. Latham is a very strong candidate to be one of those three. I sort of expect him to be one of those three but it's not certain. Red shirts like Terrence Ferguson and Tommy Brockermeyer could end up starters. Tyler Booker, an incoming freshman, uh, checks a lot of boxes to be a freshman starter. Uh, so all of those guys will compete, I think, for these other three positions. And the depth is there to where the competition, Clint, the competition could produce enough good players for us to field a competitive offensive line. But it will be, in my mind, the question mark for the 2022 Alabama Crimson Tide, much the same way last year's was, and it ended up not being quite good enough. So this is the, if, if you're prone to worry, this is the position for you. This is what I'll, I'll wrap it up and, and say about the offensive line. I think there's four interior players who are starting caliber. JVN Cohen, Emil Ikior, Darian Dalcourt, and Seth McLaughlin. With JVN Cohen having the ability, in my opinion, or the, the athleticism, like you said, he's got the length to be an offensive tackle. I will be curious to see, you know, going from left guard to left tackle, at least, you know, as far as your dominant foot, your dominant hand, you know, all those things that you're doing as far as your, your pass sets and things. If you stay on the left side, that certainly benefits that. It will be a transition going from playing more in a phone booth to playing, you know, and having to deal with SEC speed. But I do think, you know, we've seen other players do it. I think it, it was a remarkable job by Alex Leatherwood going from being a right guard to a left tackle because not only did you make that phone booth, you know, transition to having to deal with edge speed, but also you went from being on the right side to the left side. This isn't Madden. This isn't NCAA. That's very difficult to do. A lot more difficult than people realize. Now, he did have experience playing, you know, tackle in high school and stuff and playing on the left side. So that, you know, I understand that it was a little bit easier for him, but Cohen has also played tackle in high school as well. So, uh, you know, with Dalcourt and Seth McLaughlin, I know McLaughlin had played some guard. He's kind of been a player who's seen action at all three interior spots. I'll be curious to see if maybe you got JVN Cohen at left tackle, you know, maybe Seth McLaughlin at left guard or Emil Ikior Jr. or maybe a J.C. Latham potentially. You know, you have Darian Dalcourt at center. You have Emil Ikior at right guard. And then you have J.C. Latham and, and Damian George battling it out. That could be something that you could potentially end up seeing. I think Amari Kite will also be in that mix as well. There are players, and I think Tyler Booker and Elijah Pritchett are both guys who can end up coming in and making an immediate impact. Don't think I wouldn't bank on that, but I think they're both talented enough to make some noise if they get the opportunity. Uh, but you also got some players, like I said, that you're you're waiting to step up. I thought it was interesting that Jaden Roberts was listed on the depth chart as high as he was. I think he came in and really impressed the coaching staff. I think Terrence Ferguson needed to add a little bit more size, a little bit more strength, have a year in the strength and conditioning program, but I think he'll be much more prepared and ready to contribute. So uh, I'll be curious to see how it all ends up playing out in the spring. So that's going to do it for today's episode. We're going to talk about the defense tomorrow, just as extensive. Uh, won't have the kind of Drew Sanders, DeLil Billingsley 10 minute conversation to start to kind of extend the episode, but, Jimmy, this has been a lot of fun. I feel like this was needed, and we'll get back at this uh, again tomorrow talking about the defense. I appreciate you joining uh, me this morning on this episode of the Bim on 3 show. Can't wait to do it tomorrow. Absolutely. We appreciate you guys listening in. We will be talking to you guys tomorrow. I'm your host, Clint Lamb.